0: Welcome to episode 450 of the Yellow Warpods. I'm your host Stefan Butzku and today we have nothing great to discuss as Borussia Dortmund bungled the game against Mainz and did not win the championship as we all expected and hoped for. Alongside with me to discuss the latest trauma, the lifelong wound that has been inflicted upon us is Matthias Zuck, hello Matthias, how are you doing?
1: Yeah. Oh, I'm great. It's just amazing. It's wonderful to be. Al- I mean, it is wonderful to be alive. Um, <laughs> but I am. I am dead on my feet, tired because I have a sick toddler. Uh, so I'm work. I'm doing this on four hours of sleep. So I'm way too tired to rant. Um, and I've been. I feel like sad for like four days now. Five days. I don't even know. Every morning I wake up and it's like, ugh. And that's that. Usually doesn't happen with me with sporting events, but. This time it did. Yeah, this one's going to stay. How are, how are for, you, Stefan? Yeah, no, uh,
0: <laughs> let, let's just uh, announce the next uh, co-host, <laughs> which is Lars. Who is Lars Pollmann. <sighs> Hello, Lars. How are you doing? <laughs> if you want to reveal your emotional state.
2: <laughs> I'm honestly fine, Stefan. Uh, ah. the, 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 the trick is to uh, lose faith in the good in football uh, years ago. Uh, <laughs> And now everything is just, you know, black on black on black.
0: So you're saying you were emotionally unavailable, thus you couldn't be hurt in the first place. I guess that is, that is one strategy to approach it. Uh, unfortunately, I, yeah, don't have that approach. And thus, uh, I'm very sad, very disappointed, and um, also very annoyed but for whatever reason, anger was not one of the emotions I was feeling. Obviously, uh, there are plenty of things to be mad about. But uh, for whatever reason, I i don't know. I was just sad for the team. So, um, Matthias, you were already
1: throwing stats around mm. in the pre-part. Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. As a, you know, my my statistic of the damned that I like to keep an eye on are played crosses. And when we go back to, for instance, I always did this comparison when Dortmund um Undertasich kept on beating Nagelsmann's RB Leipzig, and Leipzig was hitting 40, 50 plus crosses, which isn't typical Leipzig, not typical Nagelsmann in that that season. Well, Dortmund uh, crossed the ball 62 times against Mainz. 62. And Stefan, would you like to let people know what the second highest amounts of crosses were this season?
0: (sighs) Yeah, I looked it up for you, Matthias. It was the 1-0 draw in Bochum, another great game, where Dortmund had 34. And the third highest, for people are wondering, was the 1-0 win against Schalke (laughs) with 32 crosses and uh, the fourth five is actually uh, the 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 very first game of the season 28 against 1860 munich um but yeah just to put it in perspective because you said this must be a record for the previous seasons i i only looked up this one but i mean 62 highest 34 second
1: highest is already mind blowing it it belies the Frustration and uh, just, I don't know, desperation um, that that Dortmund felt after, I will call it the 10 minutes of doom between minute 15 and minute 25. And uh, But all that, but I mean, yes, yeah, 62 crosses is bad. Don't one, though, did. Actually, those crosses, especially the ones going to the back post, and especially uh, after Duranville came on, who we will obviously talk about later, um, there were actually some really good opportunities created from that. If there was a better header there, maybe not Michael Reuss, who's not exactly a a monster in the air. Uh, it could have, it could have, could have. It's a could have game, right, Stefan? I mean, statistically speaking, in every category, Dortmund were not just slightly better than Mainz. They were by miles better than Mainz. If if you look at um, everything from possession, passing, progressive passing, everything. But the two statistics or three statistics that matter, obviously crosses, that's a bad indication, Shots on target, uh, 40% for Mainz, I mean, 4 of 10, but still, 32% for Dortmund, 9 of 28. And, of course, the most important one, two goals for Mainz and two goals for Dortmund. And, uh, you know, you, you mentioned, you know, the trauma this was inflicted. And I think we've all established the fact that I'm a bit older than the two of you. And I've been through a lot with Borussia Dortmund since like the early 80s, like my earliest memories when I was like five, six years old, going back to like 83, 84, when Dortmund were just really bad. They were not a good team in the Bundesliga at that time. And actually, in my youth, they played against Fortuna Köln to make sure they could even stay in the Bundesliga. And the biggest true disappointment on the pitch prior to Saturday was obviously the Champions League loss. Um, but this, this hurt way more. This hurts so much more because I equated it to my wife who tried to understand, okay, why was this worse? The champions, League? I said, imagine going into the champions league final, you've got a two goal two goal lead and you lose. So that's what this feels like. And that's, that's really the problem. If Dalton were equal on points with Bayon going into it, this wouldn't have hurt as much, but this, Ah, oh, the setup, the setup. You know, I just need to become significantly more pessimistic. I need to become more like my dad and literally every relative in the Münsterland and just be like, you know what, it's probably going to go poorly and then be positively surprised. So uh, with that segue, h- how are you, Las?
2: <laughs> Speaking of pessimism, I guess. <laughs>
1: sorry i couldn't help myself because you i mean in in all honesty in the last episode you were the one who said well guys you know it's not done yet and i really should have just listened to you
2: i mean i said uh i think chances of like 85 percent that's exactly what you said 85 percent surety which obviously wasn't uh low enough i suppose uh no, I
0: actually, I'm, I actually think, given how this game went, they were pretty, they, they are high enough. I, I think maybe, maybe ninety percent. I give minds getting a result in this game a ten percent chance.
2: Well, but, after the fact, they did, Stefan. So uh, it's not, not necessarily a relevant discussion. I mean, it's not. ultimately, ultimately, Dortmund obviously played well enough in a vacuum to win this game, but. Precisely uh, what I feared would happen uh, last week did happen. That the occasion of the the weight of the occasion was too big. Uh, The game state in both stadiums didn't really uh, help Dortmund. Obviously, I mean, mine scored with their first uh, opportunity after a set piece. That tends to happen from time to time to good teams, even so. It's not like that's something that should have or would have, in usual circumstances, been too big of a problem for Dortmund, but uh going down, missing the penalty. Uh especially I think Alea missing the penalty, so your starting striker, the guy you usually rely on for uh goal scoring purposes. Um Bayern going ahead, I think uh there was just a lot of bad shit happening at the same time, basically for Dortmund and once it was uh 2-0, I think most people probably were hoping for Cologne to get a result against Bayern uh, even though Dortmund as I said played well enough in a vacuum to uh, get the result they needed against Mainz and probably would have if uh, they scored uh, you know the equalizer like five minutes from the end I think there's a pretty high chance that there that the adrenaline would have pushed them towards uh, the the third goal and the championship but obviously that's not how it happened and I think I uh, think you said trauma i don't know if i would go that far for me personally but that's just you know how i manage expectations uh, versus how other people do that but i certain, certainly think it's going to be very hard for uh, those involved especially i mean the players i don't i have no concept of how uh, someone like marco Reus, who's always been talked about as uh, you know the the guy who can't close who's not winning the the big ones who's always injured in the wrong moment, who's never showing up in the biggest games. I don't know how uh, someone like that can lift this down. Obviously, the support of the fans will help with that and I think that's something to talk about in a very positive light because the reaction of the stadium, uh, even a grump like myself, got goosebumps by, from that and and that's something that's certainly going to help the team but uh, I, I just can't see a way or rather i just don't have a concept of how you deal with something like this because, uh, I don't know. The, the last time, I think the last time a, a, a team lost the lead in the Bundesliga on the final match day was Leverkusen, uh, like 25 or so years ago, uh, the, the Unterhaching drama where Ballack scored an own goal, but that wasn't at Leverkusen. And that's certainly also, even if it had been at Leverkusen, not the same as, uh, failing to win ahead of 80,000 people and, Thrice that four times that uh basically already counting on uh you know the the parade on the next day, so maybe that's a lesson to be learned for everyone, maybe not spend so much time uh on planning parades and uh uh cutting off uh cities and and you know making plans for hundreds of thousands of people, maybe finish the job first and worry about that stuff later
0: well. But- I would have to disagree with that because realistically you have to have a contingency plan for a very realistic title win and, and
2: uh... yeah you can have contingencies but that shouldn't be the entire focus ahead of the game i mean i i don't necessarily blame uh authorities or even the club but just the general vibe wasn't uh hey let's finish this it was hey it's already basically done let's Uh, get ready to celebrate, even ourselves. I mean, last week we talked about uh, how people shouldn't come to Dortmund on Saturday, or I talked about that, uh, because it might be difficult to actually catch the spot to to watch the game, but rather come uh, come on Sunday for the parade. And, uh, I mean, for there to be a parade, you have to win the game. Uh, It's the same story as, uh, I think, when the Patriots played the Eagles in the 2004, I want to say, Super Bowl, and uh, ahead of the game, Bill Belichick, told the Patriots team uh the parade route uh of the Eagles and that was uh you know the bulletin board material however you want to call it and obviously that's not what happened with mines, but I think just generally uh I think a more business like approach, not considering the task to be done already, would have helped them, but obviously hindsight is always twenty twenty. Well I, yeah, I, I mean I just,
1: yeah, I I have to agree real quick because I remember. I think it was even on on the German news. They showed like bakeries in Dortmund baking like cookies and stuff with Deutsche Meister written on it. That's ridiculous. I mean that that I mean even at the time before the result happened, I'm like, okay, but what if for some reason Dortmund doesn't do it? What are you gonna do with all that food? Um, that was, I guess, the the parent in me is like, don't waste food. Um, but yeah, that was that was a little bit much. Um, I guess. It's, it's a, a, painful, a painful lesson that Dortmund really hasn't had to experience, honestly. You know, it's not like a cup final where you really don't know what's going to happen. It was weighted in Dortmund's favor and we just all assumed. And I think we all know what happens when you assume.
0: Well, counterpoint, I refuse to give in to that a little bit because... I enjoy the excitement beforehand and people dreaming about a championship and whatnot, as we all did. So, of course, I yeah. again obviously it's unfortunate, but I don't know if necessarily printed T-shirts and uh, design pastries, if you will really uh, decided that Andreas Hansche Olsen <laughs> scores the tap-in at the at the near post and uh, Karim Onizivo scores the free header just so that Gregor Kobel can't steer it around the post but it just rolls into the net. Like, these are unfortunate things that happen and obviously I also don't think that uh, Sebastian Alia, because of that particular thing, uh, didn't score. I... I think it's quite natural to have this sort of uh, Destiny vibe if you will and uh, yeah if it doesn't happen in the end it looks bad also if you look at the uh, social media posts that want put out uh, beforehand um, but you, you know what I, I honestly don't care what it looks like in the end and uh, b- because you know y- you are allowed to be excited about a championship a couple of days before a big game like this and mine's really had nothing to play for, and Bo Svensson said it himself. It was sort of a Freudian slip in an interview with Archie after the game. Archie went to it from ESPN, where he said this wasn't the plan. (laughs) Uh, But, uh, yeah, I mean, kudos to Mainz. They really put up a fight. They did not roll over like Gladbach and Wolfsburg did beforehand. Um... But uh, yeah, it's to me personally it's it's extra annoying that the hashtag sad pieces was sort of trending at least in my head. I did not have I didn't tweet it out but uh, you know, it was implied as you all know and of course it's also a little annoying that it was uh, Sebastian Alia, I think who who left um, the the near post open for the corner kick and then um, I think Emre Can didn't quite uh, get close enough to defend Karim Onizivo if I'm not mistaken and um Yeah, very bitter also, Lars, as you said, that Dortmund didn't score sooner because um, obviously we don't know how the game goes, but I feel like if Alias scores the penalty, chances are Dortmund come away with the win and the momentum swings way differently and the first half itself goes uh, pretty differently. Um, Matthias, what do you make of uh, Mainz playing maybe even over the edge, if you will, because uh, injuries did happen... Uh, Karim Adeyemi had to come off. Uh, Marius Wolf had to come off at halftime um, because Mainz did play a pretty rough way. Um, what what did you make of these uh, substitutions and how did they, in your opinion, change the game with Marco Royce coming in around the 40th minute mark and I think uh, it was Mukuku on for Wolf at halftime?
1: Well, I mean, it changed the complexity of the game. Marco Royce disappointingly, had... I, I really no impact on the game. Not that Adeyemi really had an impact prior to the injury, but he's an explosive enough player that you can always imagine that happening. Even though this game really wasn't set up for him. Mainz a lot of times sat deep. However, those moments they did come forward, you don't want, we're missing, um, the likes of Karim Adeyemi, because if they could have broken a bit faster, In those moments where Mainz were in transition. We've seen it time and time again. Um, The fact that Mainz played let's say a little rougher, um, I'm, you know, it doesn't really it doesn't really bother me, to be perfectly honest. Uh it each side had one booking, so you know, in that sense, it wasn't that much harsher than we've seen before. Uh, they're just, you know, players that kind of disappointed. I thought Julian Brandt wasn't good. I, I, to me, he he was disappointing in that game. Uh, Guerrero actually thought played quite well. Um, and, you know, Tezic had to switch things around. I think maybe the Mukoko thing was maybe a little too early in the match to go with that. But at the same time, um, you got to deal with the, the, the cards you are dealt. Um, you know, I think maybe they could have done that a little bit different because it just changed the shape a little bit too much. And that's really when a lot of the crosses, at least it felt like started coming. Um, It was, yeah, it was <laughs> like, like, like said, you know, in a vacuum like last said, Dortmund did enough to win the game, but they didn't do enough to win the game. They didn't get Heidenheim time. You <laughs> know, um Heidenheim got 5 more minutes than Dortmund did in the end and then they got the 3-2 winner that made them champions of the zweite bundesliga. And so yeah, you tack on 5 more minutes and I agree Dortmund probably would have squeezed something in, but we don't know. I mean, I was watching the game and i and i remember saying if dortmund score before the 70th minute then they've got a chance to win this thing and they scored in the 68th minute so like hope was back and i was like okay they've got over 20 minutes to get a couple of goals dortmund can do it and they can but unfortunately they didn't and then there was that chaotic moment of course where Cohen got the equalizer and i was just like i can't like nerves wise i was broken at that point and uh yeah it was it was a tough game it was a it was a tough 10 minute spell between you know 15 and 24 for Dortmund, but particularly for alea cuz like you said him moving off the fr- uh a near post when he shouldn't have that opened it up and it was frustrating because set pieces really weren't Dortmund's weakness this season and so that was that was really annoying to have that happen and then you know i <laughs> Some people question questioned the second penalty shout. Was that a penalty? Was that not a penalty? Um, I don't know. Last, what do you I think? I don't know. It, was, it, would have been, it would have been really harsh to give that a penalty, but I could see the shout. I can understand why there was a shout for it, obviously.
0: Yeah, that's what do you make of the, the second, uh, well, the first no call?
2: Uh, you mean the push on Guerrero, I suppose? Yes. Uh, play on. I mean, uh, I think when you, uh, miss a penalty, um, you kind of lose the right to appeal for another that isn't blatant because this would have been a judgment call. And I don't, I, I think if, if it had been given, I suppose, uh, Mines wouldn't have been able to argue. It's a definite, uh, definite wrong call, but, I don't want those given and obviously, uh, while it would have had Dortmund, um, I think given missing the first one, there's a bit of a chance at least that uh, the next guy also has you know the the jitters because you basically know if you miss a second penalty, you're definitely done because you're not cutting back from that.
0: Yeah. Uh, any one of you want to argue that Alia took it instead of Emre Can because I personally thought... It's kind of fine for Alia to take it.
2: Uh, I don't know. It's not fine. I hate this. I <laughs> I, I, I talked about this uh, after the, I think, didn't... Um, the Adeyemi had against yeah. Wolfsburg, was that? Or was it Gladbach?
0: No,
1: Wolfsburg. Uh, Wolfsburg, yeah. yeah.
2: I, I, I argued it then and I'll argue it now. If you have a very good penalty taker whom you want to take penalties and obviously Emre Can is both a good penalty taker he's never missed one for Dortmund he's never missed one in his professional career even Uh, and he's on the pitch and and he was the designated taker you let him take all the penalties while he's on the pitch I don't get I mean even if Alèa had scored uh, or even if Adiyemi rather had scored because uh, the argument is easier to make in a game they won anyway Uh, I still don't want Another one to take the penalty. Uh, if the head coach makes the decision that Emre Can is your penalty taker, then let Emre Can take the fucking penalties. I don't get this. Uh, as I said, regardless of you know championship permutations and whatever, uh, it's just such a pet peeve of mine. If you have a penalty taker, let him take the penalties. That's that's what he's there for. That's basically that was Emre Can's one calling card until uh, this second half of of the current or just finished a campaign. That was the one thing he did very well, even when he wasn't playing well otherwise. He was a very good penalty taker. Obviously, Sebastian Allaire, during his time at Frankfurt and uh, at Ajax and presumably also at Utrecht and, and maybe in, you know, the French under 21 or wherever he was, he, he has a good penalty record, but he hasn't taken the penalty for Dortmund. The situation was obviously quite overwhelming I don't understand why uh in such a game such an atmosphere you are already one nil down uh, the head coach doesn't intervene and say no I picked Emre Can to pick, take penalties let him take the penalty and also I don't understand why John didn't fight it but maybe that's again you know hindsight uh, well, taking the better of me but this but, is but the I thing will, I will, but I will say and, and people can actually take a look at my Twitter account that I've made this argument before and I, I I mean, I don't want to feel vindicated, but it's kind of proving my point now. Well,
0: first of all, you are absolutely right. And second of all, I 100% agree. But the thing is, I don't want to lament it too much because I don't want to... <laughs> if Emre Can can tell Sebastian Elia, well, my guy, <laughs> you're not taking this penalty... I personally can't either. You know what I'm saying is, like, in this situation, I don't know if I would have held on to the ball if I was Emre Can. This is sort of what I was saying. Obviously, um, yes, on, on paper and in reality, Emre Can absolutely 100% should have taken the penalty and uh, not Sebastian Alea or anyone. Um, I, we could argue that had there been Marco Reus on the field at this point, he should have or could have taken the penalty because he is very good at penalty taking too. But then again, I don't know if Marco Royce has the mental fortitude for this exact moment, so I would have, uh, I was really hoping for Emre Can to take the penalty and I'll be honest when I saw Sebastian Alia take the ball out of Emre Can's hand I felt a little disheartened and I, you know, I did not feel very good about this situation because uh when Idin Tessich said before the game we will not do anything special, we do pretty much everything that we've done before. Um, you know, that sort of felt out of order to me already. And of course, uh it is a very significant moment in this club's history now, I wanna say. So um yeah, Matthias, if you want to chime in on that.
1: I mean, I agree. I, it's it's Ember is the the penalty taker. Um I also agree that Ibracian can't really be like wrestling back and forth for the ball because that's just we've seen that before. In I the feel sport, like at the as soon as there's a wrestle for so the ball dumb.
0: ahead of a penalty, it's oh, it's, it's getting missed.
1: It's, well, and it's just dumb. It's childish, you know, and it's not like Tazic can call from the side. Uh, uh, Sebastian, you can't take it because it also looks stupid. And I'm not going to put blame on Sebastian Alea for being like, I want to take it. Well, no, he has people, to be praised to
0: actually step up in that situation yes, and take the ball. Yes,
1: because it's ish, ish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, ish. However, at the same time, he hasn't taken one this season. Um, Can has. And in a moment like that, maybe you don't let that little bit of ego creep in. To be like, I want to take this penalty. I haven't taken one for the club. It's the big, you know, whatever situation to do it. I, you know, obviously, it's hard to criticize Vassanalea, uh, given what the season's been and what he's been through. However, um, there, in my opinion, that is a a point of criticism. Uh, both the his mistake at the corner. And then nine minutes later, the penalty. Uh, those were those were mistakes by him. Uh, it was also a very poorly shot penalty. Uh, so and I feel like after that, I'm not gonna say Alea was broken mentally after that, but he was um an almost non-factor in the match after that. I mean he had that one really good opportunity sliding in. Uh, even though it's not as good as Malin's opportunity that he kinda got surprised by and Dona Man I thought was also underwhelming in this match. So yeah, that's it's, it's uh, just not a good day. But you know, Homens and Zula played well. So there's that. I mean Zula had a they, they both had really important tackles and situations, and um there were certain players that did really well and some that just fell flat on the day, and that was unfortunate.
0: Yeah, Matthias, what do you make of uh, the subs that uh, happened later on? Because uh, when you talk about underwhelming, I think Julian Brandt also didn't have his best game. Daniel Mahlen, as you said, uh, he had a couple of really good moments, but uh, not in the same caliber as in uh, previous games. But I talked about this before, um, that the the jitters that you get are certainly real and uh, everything just becomes a little bit harder to do. You tighten up, you know, the... (laughs) The flow of Daniel Malin in in previous games was also just where he was just doing and not thinking, and this is sort of where the thinking starts again. So I understand um why uh they weren't playing at their very best because if they had, Dortmund probably would have uh, won this game quite handily. Um, nevertheless, uh, I was. I'll be honest, I was surprised that uh, Julian Duranville made his debut in such an important game for Julian Brandt after only 62 minutes. And uh, of course, Gio Reyna then replaced Daniel Malin as well. Um, so, Matthias, these two substitutes made a very positive impact. Please talk about them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Duranville, that was a gutsy call to bring him on, and it almost paid off. I thought he played really, really well. He had some great moments, some great looks. He lost the ball, won it back. So his pressing is there. His hustle is there. Floated in a few good crosses that did create good chances. So that was really nice to see. And he wasn't intimidated by the moment at 17. I think he's still just 17, right? Um, So that was really, really positive. Gio Reyna, I thought, was quite impactful now he's come in off you know off the bench a few times and scored goals, but I thought he was better in this sub appearance than in the previous ones where he scored, just because he did more. He was there, there was more there. I did see some people online question Dortmund's starting lineup and why Reyna didn't start right away, why not Mukoko or Royce, but that's all. I mean, honestly, that's gibberish garbage. Um, just because. The other players that started have been in absolutely blazing, amazing form. Um, that's that's not the issue um, at all. I mean, everyone agreed that that's the the starting team you play in. But I thought Duranville and Reina were really good. I thought Mukoko was pretty much absent. Um, I thought Modeste may as well have not even been on the pitch. Personally, because. I don't even know if he had a touch. I don't, I can't even remember. I feel like he would have Uh,
0: scored the one Royce free kick had Hummels not headed it away from goal.
1: True, true, true. But, you know, until I looked at the stats that he got subbed in, I honestly completely forgot he got subbed in. but yeah, uh, I thought those two were really good. Uh, they obviously, Duranville has a future at the club. Gio Reyna, we'll have to see. I don't think there's any talk about him leaving in the summer, especially given all the people that are leaving uh, that we now know. Uh, one of which is, of course, a player that scored in this match at Rafael Guerrero. So, who I thought had a good match overall. But those two were impactful. Uh, Creativity from Reyna that Julian Brandt did not have came in. And Duranville was also creative and harder for Mainz to stop than Daniel Main uh, in that time frame. So very, very good overall.
0: I mean, Duranville had also the advantage that uh, there is no scouting report on him from Mainz players. So they just don't know. What His strengths and weaknesses are, and so there's not any preparation, and so he had the element of surprise, uh, quite literally. Um, but uh, yeah, last I want to hear from you as well about uh Duranville, and of course, uh, uh Giorana, the American boy, <laughs> uh, since we have a lot of American listeners, and uh, it's it's rare this season, unfortunately, that he has good moments, so when they do happen, I feel like they should be talked about a little bit.
2: I mean. First of all, it feels like you're grasping at straws to talk about something positive. I am. After, after the worst game of the season, uh, in terms of outcome. Uh, and also I don't disagree entirely with the uh, notion that uh, Reina hasn't had good moments this season because he's been, uh, the singularly best, uh, sub performer, if you like, uh, in terms of goal involvements. And without Reiner's substitutions, he, Dortmund wouldn't have been in a position to, uh, uh, no, I, yeah, that's that's, that's, there, so. that's
0: correct. I just said he didn't have that many because he obviously most of the time came off of the bench and ha- had a lot of uh, DNP's to his name as well. So that's what I mean.
2: Yeah, but I I, I genuinely don't know what else to say. I mean, uh, okay, they they played well. Duranville took took guys on. Uh, I think his lack of experience was a positive for them because. Quite frankly, he probably didn't really fully understand the, the weight of the situation and just went out and played for the first time in months. I think that's uh something that such a young player with his uh, strengths uh you know, is just able to do. I mean I think the the same probably could have been said about uh, Jamie Bino Gittens had he been available uh, without a, his shoulder injury. And yeah, Rayner played well. Uh created a couple of chances here and there, was more lively than some of the other guys that played. But ultimately, it, it kind of rings hollow when uh, we are talking a few days after they blow the title about that two subs appearances <laughs> were, weren't, weren't too bad at, or were quite good, actually. I mean, I, I genuinely couldn't care less about how Reyna and Duranville played because their impact was ultimately not good enough. Fair.
0: Yeah, I mean, Alia scored the offside goal and uh, yeah, after Niklas Zulu scored in the I don't know, 96th minute or whenever this goal happened uh, yeah Dortmund had like two more desperation heaves and I feel like the final one was sort of in the vicinity of Anthony Modest, and that he (laughs) didn't manage to reach it because too slow, sort of perfectly summed it all up for me in that moment and um, yeah I don't know, um, it's it's a difficult game to talk about, so uh, I I apologize if I harangue you with <laughs> the wrong questions, but uh, Matthias, as Lars already said, when we talk about positivity, which is obviously hard to do, but nevertheless, I feel like the end of the match did show a range of emotion that you do not find <laughs> at different clubs, let's say, so maybe talk about how the fans receive the team and consult them at
1: the end you know I mean it's it's um, that that's one of the things that makes this club uh, so special because obviously in München a reaction like that wouldn't have happened had they lost the title um, we've also seen it with other clubs where disappointing results have resulted in fans attacking each other attacking players or whatever. And here they celebrated the team because obviously if you look back at where the team was in January uh, or November before the world cup break, nobody, nobody thought they would be challenging for a title. I mean, a lot of people were questioning, would they even qualify for Europe? uh, Let alone the champions league. And it's been a hell of a run the second half of the season and they deserve to be applauded for that and built up. And they realized, you know, and this is a great thing about Dortmund fans in this moment, they realized also that these players, and a lot of them are young, few of them are leaving, um, that that they didn't need... They understood what had happened. They understood that they lost the title. And to build them up like that, you know, seeing the reception of tezic who obviously... Uh, was very emotional about this given what the club means to him on a personal level and those are the those are the moments that Borussia Dortmund haven't had since Jürgen Klopp left you know where you see a celebrating uh, of the coach the coach crying even in moments where you're not winning where you lost a low moment and that emotional connection that between Klopp and Tiearesic None of the other managers that were there had none of them, not a single one. And that is, you know, one of the, the, the big things there. And that also showed to me again, why I do believe that Tazic is the right man for the job. He still needs to learn. He still needs to grow in his tactical acumen, but he gets the club and, and the fans get him. And that, that was a huge disconnect with, Rose, Favre, we're not going to talk about the two Peter season, um, and Thomas Tuchel, there was always a disconnect. And here there is a true connection and that matters at Borussia Dortmund more than at, uh, you know, the guys down in, in Bavaria. Yeah. I mean, it
0: is, it is nice to have at least (laughs) this (laughs) as stupid as it sounds, but, uh, it was a great moment, even though it was a terrible moment, <laughs> if you if you know what I mean. Because uh, yeah, Dortmund obviously uh, did have a great reaction, and uh, you know the the stadium wasn't half empty by the time uh, the game ended, and uh, sort of this uh, collective mourning, if you will, um, yeah, showed that uh, it's it's not just uh, <laughs> corporate nonsense. <laughs> football but it actually is very meaningful and uh, yeah I don't know I don't have that many more things to say a- a- about this uh, whole uh, coming together after the game and the reactions Last, if, if you have a few thoughts be my guest I don't know
2: no, I think we've covered it basically um, as I said before certainly something that will help players uh, get over this and I'm assuming this is going to uh, carry over uh, into the next season, I think, Uh, given the the reputation of the Yellow Wall and and the Westfalenstadion in general. I think I'm probably not too harsh when I say that Dortmund's atmosphere at times is overrated because the stadium is just too big um, and there are too many fans who are there for the first time at every game, or not regulars, don't know the songs, don't really know the the rhythms and, and how, uh, you know, atmosphere in a football stadium that big works. So there's, I think, uh, a case to be made that the Westfalen Stadion is at its best maybe two, three times a year. So for the Schalke uh, home game for Bayern and, you know, for uh, the the biggest game of the season basically which uh, this time uh, happened to be about the championship but might be you know a Champions League home game or whatever and and I think it would be a, a great achievement outside of you know the innermost sporting context if the togetherness that has now been displayed so wonderfully would also uh, carry over into next season and and also have a bit more of a of an impact in terms of, you know, the home advantage in terms of atmosphere. Obviously Dortmund failed to win only, I think two, uh, home matches in the Bundesliga this season, but one, I still think,
0: although mine's feels like it failed lost. to fail, failed to win. Oh yeah. Sorry. My bad.
2: <laughs> it's uh Bremen and mine's. Um, yeah, I, I, I just think that would be, I mean, I don't necessarily want to uh, say a positive to come from this, but obviously, uh, everyone will
0: understand what I mean. Yeah. I mean, Lars, do you think that, you know, pretty much everyone from coach to sporting director to, I don't know, whatever position Vatzke has right now, uh, immediately saying that, you know, we'll try to attack again next next season. Do you think this is um, a different mindset at the club? Because obviously Dortmund did not approach uh, the bundesliga Uh, this time around uh, with the clear declaration that they are trying to win it uh, was uh, sort of, uh, you know, we want to qualify for the Champions League and hope for the best sort of approach. Um, Do do you think this has a positive or a negative impact for Dortmund considering uh, the rebuild we will obviously go through and uh, might already have to discuss now because, you know, there are obviously some player news that we can get to in a minute.
2: I think it's one of the most overblown storylines of a- every season around Dortmund, whether they, whether they declare their intentions to win the league or not. I mean, uh, the, the truth of the matter is the only club that determines championships in the Bundesliga for the foreseeable future is Bayern Munich. So, uh, considering that we can expect Bayern to have a crazy summer of net spending in the nine figures, uh, with, I don't know, maybe Declan Rice plus, uh, Rondal Colomwani or any other striker of some international level. Uh, if Dortmund declare their intention to win the title next season, I will say good luck because that's going to be very difficult given how Bayern react to failures and they didn't even completely fail this time around. Uh, yeah, I, I, every single year this, this talk is, uh, uh, Pushed by certain parts of the media, and every time, I kind of shake my head because I, and obviously, I'm not in a football club. I'm, I haven't been a professional player. I've only coached at the grassroots level, so maybe I just don't have the capacity to understand how uh, a declaration such as this one might, you know, uh, change how you view yourself and and uh, give you more belief or whatever. But I just can't imagine that it makes. Any sort of difference whether Hans Joachim Watzke in uh, August says, by the way, we want to win the title. I mean, for a club of a certain level and certain ambitions, it's a given that, given the chance you want to win the title, and everybody knows, even uh, the most optimistic of players who are more important than anyone else in, in this regard, will know that it's, the decision isn't being made by Dortmund over 34 match days, it's being made by Bayern and uh, how they, uh, you know, take care of their own business, which is dominating the Bundesliga. And chances are they will over the next few years, which is what makes, uh, what happened on Saturday that much more unbearable. Because this might have been, as Terzic said after the Bochum game, I think the, the once in a lifetime or at least once in a blue moon kind of chance to win the title.
0: Yeah, this is really the most annoying or unbearable part, as he said about it, is that we have no idea when this chance might come again, because, you know, we just had the 10-year anniversary of the loss in the Champions League final, and obviously Dortmund haven't been anywhere near it since, you know, when uh, Jurgen Klopp uh, lost the game. He basically was like, yeah, we'll be back, but obviously we weren't. So it is is a tough pill to swallow uh, in that regard and uh, also you know there are no run it backs for you know players like jude bellingham or rafael guerrero and uh, who knows if marco royce will ever come this close to winning the title or it uh, in for that matter so um yeah it's it's really bitter it's it's also very annoying because you know having to see Bayern celebrate their 11th championship, which is it, to me, it's not really a, a real celebration. It's sort of going down the drain, like <laughs> if we're honest. Uh, and yeah, they uh, had their few songs uh, at the expense of Dortmund, but honestly, I couldn't care less. And on top of it all, it's also just annoying that Dortmund have this label of being botless now, because I, I, I said it before, uh, that in, in my view, Dortmund are not a bottling team, but you know the latest evidence uh, contradicts my previous statement. So, Matthias, how do Dortmund recover from this? Because uh, recovery is obviously a very important term, considering how this went, because it was a very big blow.
1: Well, I'd advise them to do better than after the Champions League loss. Um, you know that that uh, that was quite the, quite the hit emotionally there. Um, it kind of, I mean, it's hard to say because there's going to be a certain amount of rebuild in certain positions, predominantly in central midfield. So the, the attitude in the club is going to be a little bit different because a lot of players are going to be gone uh, that have either been very impactful in a short period, Bellingham, or have been there for a long time in Guerrero. He's been there for seven seasons. Uh, which is kind of crazy to think about how long he's been at Borussia Dortmund. And he's been through a lot of highs and lows with the club. <laughs> it's funny that at so, the end
0: of it, I'm just so insanely annoyed by Guerrero leaving. And I couldn't... Oh, yeah. I, I just want to leap off a bridge when I, I read the rumors that he might end up at Bayern Munich. That, that's just too much for me to take.
1: Oh, yeah. No, it... I mean, to be brutally honest, despite seven years, if he goes to Bayern, that would, uh, that, well, for me at least, and this is, you know, not not being a professional, but being just a fan, that would very much taint my opinion of Rafael Guerrero. Um, but that being put aside, uh, it, it's hard to say how the club's going to recover from this. I mean, you have... Players that have been there done that and won, like Mats Hummels, you know. Niklas Uhle also, you know, and, and there are players that have won titles. Sebastian Lea has won things with Ajax. Um, and with Frankfurt. So it's it's not like it's a totally open green space of players who haven't had highs and lows. And I think someone like Sebastian Alea can, can, can given that he survived cancer, can compartmentalize this enough to push on and continue forward. I think Identazic Tazic can as well. So I think it's just back to processing this. It'll take a few weeks um, and then let the powers that be, the Elefantenrunde, do their thing and then come back and go back to work. I mean, they are professionals and continue pushing forward. And I I wanna kind of go back to what you stated before. I mean, some people are are using, you know, the term like, oh, they dot wounded it. You know, I mean, in my opinion, you can just go take a leap with something like that. Uh, there are a few other ones who decided to punch down conveniently at Dalton after this result, saying, Well, oh, you know, it's just not a winning club culture. Yeah, you know, I mean, winning a Champions League, multiple German titles and cups, definitely. Yeah, I think you know, I, I, I saw this on, they,
0: on the, ESPN FC with jan Adel yeah. I didn't even click on it, yes. but I, I did see the, this yes. headline, and I must say, this guy can just go fuck himself so hard.
1: Yeah, and I replied to him. I mean, and the thing is, somebody pointed out, well, like a few days ago, he was talking about Dortmund's winning club culture. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's just convenient punching down to get a click reaction and a few other people have said that as well. And to me, those aren't real fans. They, can, they need to go find a new club. You're invited to go to München in that case. Now, there's a difference between not a winning club and not a winning team. Um, and, I mean, you can make the argument. We've made the argument over the last few seasons that there are people in this squad that too often have dropped their shoulders and given up. Guerrero being one of them, Gio Reyna being one of them. Um, Guerrero kind of got past that. Reyna, I think by being kind of that Joker role, was forced to get past it because he didn't have enough time to be mopey. So, I mean, you can make that, not argument, but at least point in that direction, you know, I mean, Bellingham tries, works really hard, but he too, when things just really aren't going his way, he gets pretty petulant on the pitch, but he's also really, really young. But a few of these people are no longer going to be here. And that's going to be the core thing about how Dalton can advance past this is, and I hate talking about mentality because Dalton have shown great mentality this season, but that does matter. People with the right mentality who can get past adversity, push on, and not give up if you're playing away to Augsburg, obviously this season notwithstanding, but in previous season, it's just not happening, to then just give up. Those are the things you need to make sure in your recruitment now that help you push past that and build up on players that have really come back strong and redefined their career at Dortmund, like an Emre Can, like a Julian Brandt, um, to make sure they don't fall backwards. That's their big job to move forward in that case.
0: Yeah, obviously moving forward, we have a lot of topics, you know, on, on that subject. You know, how do we replace J. Bellingham? How does Dortmund deal with the absence of Rachel Guerrero? And and who else is, is leaving the club. But honestly I would uh, keep this for another time maybe next week or the week after, whenever we can find uh, time for another episode, maybe there's more news available too. So um, Lars, um I think it's time for your last words and thoughts because uh, oftentimes you have something insightful to say. So <laughs> if this is the case, be...
2: Uh, no, not this time, Stefan. I think we are all still a bit reeling, even even my grumpy, not as old as uh, Matthias' ass, uh, <laughs> Still, still reading a little bit, so I think it's best we get out of here.
0: All right, uh, to everyone out there who listened, supported, whatever throughout the entire season, our our patrons, our fans, and of course fans of Borussia Dortmund who have suffered along with us, uh, a big, big thank you. Um, it was great uh to have the show. Sadly, not as frequently as in previous seasons due to uh, several different commitments. Um, but I still hope you had a lot of fun this season. I think overall it was a great uh, season, and uh, as someone uh, recently said, I, I sadly forgot who it was, uh, that most great season ends in tears, and this one most certainly did. And of course, also very much thank you to you, Lars and Matthias, for being uh, great co-hosts. It's always fun to do the Yellow Wall with you too so uh (laughs) um yeah i don't know if uh we'll be back next week but we certainly be back uh in in two weeks and uh until then as always thank you for listening and goodbye